Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, episode 118. Pam and Scott's book pairing on leading for game-changing decisions. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success on the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And right across from me, as always, is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott. Hi, Pam. It's always a pleasure to join you for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. And if you're listening for the first time, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for visionary leaders to accelerate themselves and their companies to the next level of growth and success. So Pam, what are we focusing on today? what it takes to lead for game-changing decisions in this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environment that we live in, we face a paradox. We face lots of paradoxes, (laughs) that's right. That's right. In this particular case, it's a paradox of certainty. Okay. On the one hand, we know that we need to draw on the knowledge and skills of others more than ever before to innovate and grow. And yet, especially under pressure, we often want to be certain. We want to draw on our our experience and our instincts. And we often assume that we know more than we really do. And so we approach decision-making believing that we know enough. And this decision-making from experience and instinct can be seductively reassuring. That's true. But when we're leading for game-changing decisions under new circumstances, and we know that our environment is always changing, making decisions in a habitual way doesn't always serve us the best. It can actually end up costing us more, taking longer, and not giving us the outcomes that we anticipate and we need. Well, that's right, Scott. And even with technology, this can be an issue. A few years back, we were visiting Oklahoma City and we were looking for a new address. Right. We had the GPS. We took off from the airport. Mm -hmm. We were going this way and that way. And GPS was guiding us beautifully. Right. And then we got to our destination. (laughs) I remember this one. And what did our destination look like? It looked like a field. Right. And and the GPS said, you've arrived at your destination. And so we relied upon this piece of technology, artificial intelligence, really, Uh to say, you know, this is how we do it. The problem was, we found out after we called the people we were visiting that their house was so new, it hadn't been updated into the uh, GPS database. And so nothing is perfect. Nothing is perfect. And when things are changing, we constantly have to be renewing our knowledge, That's even right. if we're machines. That's right. There are a lot of things that go on on a day-in and day-out basis. And you can say, well, something is a very minor change. It's not going to make a major difference. Right. But this example and some others show that every change makes a difference. And when we're talking about being proactive and making game-changing decisions mm-hmm. for growth, we're entering into that same uncharted territory. Yeah. And there are a lot of little changes and big changes. And we have to be willing to accept the fact that always we don't know what we don't know. And when we can recognize how we're hardwired to think 
and how we're hardwired to interact, then we can make conscious decisions about how we're going to respond under new circumstances. And that's why we're pairing two books that taken together shed new light on this paradox. One book is a brand new release called The Knowledge Illusion, Why We Never Think Alone by Stephen Sloman and Philip Fernbach. And the other is a book that's been getting quite a bit of buzz I would say, especially over the last year. It's a book called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. Okay, and we found that our book pairings are actually pretty popular with our listeners. And just like pairing wine and cheese or port and chocolate, one of my favorites, Uh if you take these two books, they, on their surface, are different, but they complement each other taken together. And we then can take off on this pairing and derive new insights that really strengthen how we think about this whole complex issue. So in our second segment, we're going to dive more deeply into these two books. And in the third segment, we will draw on our own experiences and the themes of these two books to talk about immediately useful ideas to guide ourselves and our organizations to make even more powerful, game-changing decisions. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll discuss our take on the knowledge illusion and quiet. Stay with us. You are listening to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, where we focus on enabling visionary leaders to dramatically increase momentum for game-changing results. We're on the web at businessadvance.com. Does this topic resonate with you? Check out related episodes to expand your perspectives and take away immediately useful ideas. Go to growthignitersradio.com, episode 118, and scroll down to resources. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly alert of upcoming episodes so you'll always be up to date. Welcome back to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I are pairing two books that can shed new light on leading for game-changing decisions in uncharted territory. Scott, the first book we're going to talk about today is The Knowledge Illusion. Right. So the whole title is The Knowledge Illusion, Why We Never Think Alone. It's written by Stephen Sloman and Philip Fernbach, who are professors of cognitive and psychological sciences at Brown University and the University of Colorado. It just came out in April of 2017. And complementing some of our previous conversations, it picks up on the theme of how sometimes how we think can actually lead us astray. So what was your big takeaway from this book? It really can be summed up in the old chestnut that all of us are smarter than any of us. Uh-huh. Now, at first take, that's pretty obvious. Yes, I mean, we've, it is. We've said things like that. We don't know what we don't know and all this stuff. And the authors even say this. The authors acknowledge that. But then they go beyond the obvious and really dig deeply into research about why we as individuals and as communities and even societies, why we think the way we do. The advantages and disadvantages of making assumptions about what we know versus what we don't. And in doing this, they lead us to insights about how we can make smarter and more powerful decisions about all kinds of things. So there's a lot of substance to this book. What did you especially like about it? 
Well, actually, my favorite part of the book was the last chapter. For people who really want to cut to the chase, I really recommend going to the last chapter. It helps you wrap your head around the wisdom of the book. They talk right off the bat about the three themes of the book, Uh which are ignorance, the illusion of understanding, this idea that we think we know more than we really know, Uh because our real depth of knowledge is out there in other people and in other artifacts. And they talk about the community of knowledge, which is something that is near and dear to our hearts and something we talk about a great deal of collective wisdom and Mm -hmm. the wisdom of our organizations and of our communities. The thing that makes it challenging for everybody is figuring out how to access that web of knowledge. I'm talking about in organizations that have any complexity to them. And Mm -hmm. that would be about any organization over the size of two people. (laughs) Right. It's hard to know who to go for for what. Think about how many companies these days are actively partnering with other companies. So Mm -hmm. in order to produce a service or a product, we're talking about game changing here. Right. We might be thinking we have all the information we Mm -hmm. need, but in fact, it's our partner somewhere else who actually has the information we need. Yeah. And not only is there uncertainty about who we need to go to, but even when. This calls to mind an example that goes way back to when I was in graduate school. And I had to drop a course for the summer because I I injured myself. Right, and I, had I remember to drop. that, yes. And I filled out a form. I did a, a drop course, and the university came back at me and said, no, you can't do it that way. You, you owe us more money. <laughs> and so I spent two days, two days limping around, and I couldn't find the right person to help me solve the problem. Today, you would have had the internet, right? I might have had the internet, but the internet depends upon somebody putting the information in. Like our first segment example. Like our first segment example. And the thing is that after two days, I finally ended up in the basement of the administrative building talking to the umpteenth person. And she said, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. Done. Now, admittedly, that was before the Internet really Mm -hmm. was in existence. But even today, the thing is we have to recognize first that if we don't stop and think, what do I need to know? And then how can I get that, whether it's talking to somebody or going to the internet. And remember, the internet doesn't always have the answer. That's right. It's we not saw always that. in there. You have to have that way of bringing in the information at the right time in the right way. So this book also talks about different approaches that people have to dealing with knowledge. In fact, uh, towards the end of the book, they talk about two major types of people and how they deal with what the authors call ignorance, uh, lack of knowledge. And one group of people knows that they don't know a lot. They're pretty careful and conscientious about trying to fill in the gaps. And if they can't, they kind of stay in their area of expertise. Mm -hmm. The other kind of person is more freewheeling and more willing to go out into the great unknown and explore things that they may or may not know they fully understand. So how would you sum this up, Scott? If we recognize and respect the limitations of our own knowledge and really learn how to tap into the vast web of knowledge that surrounds us, that's where the power lies. And that's what increases our ability to arrive at truly game-changing decisions.
Building on that, we've seen over the years that creating the most effective community of knowledge in organizations depends on continuously fostering a culture that enables people with all kinds of personalities and thinking styles to contribute their expertise and wisdom in the best possible way. Absolutely. And that takes us to our next book, which is Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking. Susan Cain is a writer whose work on introversion and shyness has appeared in The New York Times, O Magazine, Psychology Today, and others. And she's taught negotiation skills at corporations. She has that special expertise and also says that she herself is an introvert. Okay, so what's the main premise of this book? This is a book about introversion from a cultural point of view. Okay. It goes to the idea that introversion, which includes the quiet contemplative traits that she calls quiet, Mm -hmm. are just as valuable to society as extroversion traits, which include the more interactive, social, gregarious traits. And yet society in general, especially Western society, appears to really emphasize value on extroversion above introversion. How do we get to this point? This is a relatively new value in society. It wasn't until the rise of the Industrial Revolution and the need for people to come off their farms and to interact with strangers Uh that the ability to quickly connect and interact Mm -hmm. became more valuable to individuals and groups because now we're selling ourselves Mm -hmm. as well as our products and it's impacting how we thrive in society. Okay, that's understandable. But Susan Cain makes the point that this overemphasis on extroversion comes at a cost to society as well. She makes the case that some of the greatest contributions to society have come from introverts, such as Van Gogh's sunflowers to the invention of the personal computer. And yet from a very early age, because of this extroversion ideal, people are socialized to live into that extroversion ideal, right? even as they may in fact be introverts. So they grow up not necessarily tapping into their full potential or the potential of others. Right. And this has a cost to society, including business. Yes. The cost is that introverts are often overlooked and underestimated in a society that prizes extroversion. Right. This does a disservice to the one third to one half of employees in a given organization that are introverts, whether you recognize them or not. What do you mean by that? Well, keep in mind, appearance isn't necessarily reality. All right. Somebody may act like an extrovert because Uh they've been socialized to do so, Right. but it doesn't mean that they are extroverts. Okay, that has a lot of implications. What about in the workplace? It has everything to do with collaboration. Ah, right. And we just finished talking about the importance of the community of knowledge Mm -hmm. in making more powerful decisions, breakthrough decisions. So, yeah, collaboration is hugely valued. And when we're talking about collaboration, we're talking about everything from the design of the office Mm -hmm. and to whether we're sitting in private offices or in group offices Mm -hmm. to how we brainstorm to create game-changing decisions. So bearing this in mind, how can we create an environment that brings out the best of both our introverts as well as our extroverts? It's important to recognize that introverts often need to solve problems alone before sharing ideas. Now, face-to-face builds trust, but there are group dynamics that contain some unavoidable challenges Uh for creative thinking. That's why leaders need to be sensitive to this need for different styles. Mm -hmm. I remember... 
a workshop that I did early on in my career. I brought together groups all across the company Mm -hmm. and we were collaborating and brainstorming and doing all kinds of things to go in a new direction for the company. Yes. And it was a successful series of workshops. Right. One day somebody came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, if I liked workshops, this would be a great workshop. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time I was sort of scratching my head because he was very positive and he Mm -hmm. was contributing. And if I think about it now in this light, Mm -hmm. I can say this was a person who was an introvert and he was socialized to extrovert. Okay. But it wasn't easy for him. The way that we were setting it up early on, there was a lot of constant interaction. Mm -hmm. What I learned over time is that you have to give people chances to work individually so that they can process information. Then they come together and they share in some different ways. So being sensitive to introverts as well as extroverts really does create the most value. Right. And so these two very different books actually complement each other very well. They do. When we're leading for game-changing decisions and growth, we need each other more than ever. Yes. However, we're all hardwired with different tendencies for how we make decisions and how we work best with others. Mm Mm-hmm. The more conscious we are of these issues, the easier it is to navigate the paradox of certainty we face as there are twists and turns in the environment. Absolutely. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Scott and I will discuss three immediately actionable ways for applying ideas from these books. Stay with us. This is Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, where we focus on enabling leaders and their companies to increase momentum to accelerate to their next level of growth and success. We're on the web at businessadvance.com. Have you ever wondered what some of the best-selling business authors are really like in person? Listen to our conversations with them and find out. This includes information that they don't share in their books. Download the Growth Igniter's Business Authors Pack number one. This limited time offering puts descriptions and links to some of our most popular conversations with these top authors in one place for easy access. We include authors like Judith Glaser of Conversational Intelligence, Charles Duhigg of Smarter, Faster, Better, and Ron Friedman of The Best Place to Work, and more. No more searching. Just go to growthignitersradio.com and click on the button at the top of the sidebar that says Download Business Authors Pack Number One. And thanks again for listening to Growth Igniters Radio. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I have been pairing two books that, taken together, shed new light on leading for game-changing decisions. The Knowledge Illusion, Why We Never Think Alone by Stephen Sloman and Philip Fernbach, and Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. To find related episodes, go to growthignitersradio.com, episode 118, and scroll down to resources. Now, Pam, this is the part of the podcast where we like to draw on the concepts that we've talked about earlier and come up with some actionable ideas for how to put these concepts into practice to benefit ourselves and our companies. What's the first idea? 
It's important to be aware of your own personal style, which includes thinking and how you interact with the world at large. Okay, good idea. How, how do you do that? There are a number of assessments that are available, whether it's DISC or it's Myers-Briggs or right. some other type of assessment. They're all designed to get to particular types of information about different personal styles and tendencies. So what's the most important thing to keep in mind when somebody is selecting one of these assessments? First, I would say that it's important to have a larger purpose in mind. Why are we doing this? How is this going to benefit us individually and as a whole? So taking a strategic approach to this assessment process. That's right. It can be used several ways. For example, I've used it with strategy and team building, right. where it's important to understand who's on the team and how we're going to work together most effectively to get to that larger decision. I've also used it as an individual coaching tool for CEOs and senior executives who are seeking to raise their game as their companies are scaling for growth. So having a specific purpose for a specific context in mind is really critical for the success of this assessment. What are a couple of other things that are really important to making assessments work the way you intend them to? What's even more important is to make sure that the assessments are debriefed in a way that the person who's receiving this can understand it and interpret it and use it in a way that's most effective for them. And this means that whoever is working with this tool has to be thoroughly knowledgeable about it because there's a lot of nuances that go into interpreting it. And of course, whatever assessment you use needs to be validated for the purpose. Why is that? This is a very powerful experience for people. Mm -hmm. They take it very personally. That's why it has to be accurate and actionable. Excellent points. So, Scott, you have the second point. What's I that? I do. Tapping into the idea of this community of knowledge, it's very important for any given situation that you identify what it is you're trying to do and then think about all the different stakeholders that are essential in bringing knowledge together, people who are affected by and affect the situation. Like a web, Like actually. a web, Absolutely. As opposed to a line. It's it's not a line and it's not a tree. It really is a web. People should be talking to each other as well as you. And it's both inside your organization as well as with your partners. Absolutely. Your vendors, your alliance partners. And that's something that people tend to overlook. It is sometimes hard to know who is important. And that's, that's right. why you have to start with the people you can think of off the top of your head, then you talk to them, and they can think of other people, and that's how that web develops. And we have a list that will include under resources of some of the types of stakeholders that we tend not to think about as often. That's right. And why does this make a difference? Because if you fall under the illusion of understanding and go ahead and do things without considering stakeholders, you can have unintended consequences. Oh, yes. For example, back in my corporate days, we were going through a simplification 
of our workflow. Right. And we Makes were, sense. It did. We were all told, okay, now go back to your offices and do away with all the things that were unnecessary, which we were all dancing around going, yes. And sure. uh, I went back to my office and I said, I don't need this approval. I don't need that signature. That's a waste. Mm-hmm. And I sent it forward and then people started coming back to me saying, wait a moment, that impacts me. Mm-hmm. That's going to create complexity for my work. Right. So we were negotiating about what was really important and what wasn't. It was enlightening to realize how much we all do impact each other. Yeah, the interconnection there is really incredible when you stop to think about it. And that was before today, where yeah. the internet makes us even more connected in right. more ways. There are more and more ways to get work done, not only within a company, but with external partners. Exactly. Okay. So, Pam, what's a last piece of actionable, practical uh, advice that we can take from this book pairing? So when you understand styles, mm-hmm. your personal style, and your understanding who your stakeholders are in the that context. web, yeah. then you need to adapt to the particular circumstances that embrace these different styles and situations. Absolutely. And to bring this idea to life, I can think of an example of a project that we did not that long ago, where we work with an executive team where everyone agreed on the objectives that they had to accomplish, but things just weren't happening. And That's right. The the uh, president who brought us in was very confused and he couldn't understand why things weren't happening when people said yes. Mm-hmm. And so... We met individually with each of the executives to get their perspectives. We gave them a little homework to think about, you know, what is it that needs to be improved here? And then we brought them together and helped them have a conversation where each of them was able to more fully express their opinions and ideas. And just as an aside, one of the things that was going on is that you had a very dominant extroverted president in charge of the group. Mm -hmm. A lot of his executives were introverted. So they were not sharing the information until they felt that they were in a safe environment to do that. Once we straightened that out, adapting to the different styles of the individuals, they really were able to accelerate forward and accomplish a lot of the goals that had been stalled. So collaboration is critical. Yes. It's how you collaborate that really makes the difference. Absolutely. So Pam, what are your final thoughts to wrap up this book pairing? To more effectively lead for game-changing decisions, we need to admit that we don't know what we don't know. Right. We also need to be aware of our own and our stakeholders' tendencies towards introversion or extroversion, as well as other personality styles and tendencies. In this way, we can bring out the best in everyone, share knowledge more effectively, and make the most powerful decisions possible. Thanks, Pam. And thanks to you out there for listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To get show notes and resource links for this week's episode, go to growthignitersradio.com, episode 118. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to discuss. What can we do differently or better starting today to lead for game-changing decisions in our company?
Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio are service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses, including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated, are prohibited. All rights reserved.